Alright everybody, welcome back. In this episode we're going to get into Numbers, Chapter 16, Korah's Rebellion. The battle lines are drawn and Korah and his followers oppose Moses' leadership. I'm taking the first three verses. The accusation against Moses and Aaron. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab, on the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? All right, so this rebellion like all, had a leader and followers, and this leader was Korah, and he descended from Kohath. Both Moses and Korah were descended from Kohath, but by different sons. Moses through Amram, in Numbers 26, verses 58 through 59, and Korah through uh, Ishhar. The Kohathites had the most exalted duty among the Levites. Their charge was to carry the most holy things of the temple after Aaron and his sons had covered them with the specially prepared coverings in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15. The name Korah means baldness. Old Baldy was going to give Moses a tough time, right? So Korah was not content with what the Lord had called him to do in serving with the other Levites of the family of Koath. He accused Moses of pride and exclusionary leadership, and it was significant this accusation was made publicly in front of 250 leaders of the congregation, men of renown. Men like Korah are always playing to an audience, always trying to draw a following after themselves, after Moses has already gathered the nation and led them this far, of course. So this was a clever attack. Korah acted if as if he represented the people and fought for their interest, and the truth was that he would desire a following in a position just for himself, right? So basically he's saying, Moses, you shouldn't be the leader. Let everyone be a leader. God can speak to everyone. Rebels and divisive persons have always used such words for their cause. Significantly, Korah proclaimed the holiness of the people, right? All the congregation is holy, and regarded strong leadership as unnecessary, right? You take too much. At the very time when the nation was not holy and desperately needed uh, strong leadership, Korah, like many rebels and divisive people, completely misread the state of the flock because he was not a true shepherd. So Korah accused Moses and Aaron of pride and self-seeking. The truth was that Moses had not aspired to this uh, position at all that indeed God called him, and Moses did not, in fact, see himself as above the congregation. So on a human level, Korah was successful because uh, these men of renown followed him. The Korahs of the ministry are difficult enough to deal with, but the people who followed them, 250 leaders, representatives, men of renown, who lack the discernment to oppose the Korahs can be even more painful. So the gainsaying, saying against of Korahs, is mentioned in Jude 11 as one of the marks of false teachers in the last days. Today, we see a united rebellion against the authority of Moses and priesthood of Aaron, God's way of salvation by blood. Korah was evidently a cousin of Moses in Exodus 6 verse 21, which makes the rebellion even more serious. So false accusation, Moses didn't want the job. Korah, a Levite, and Dathan and Ibram, 
of the tribe of Reuben led and recruited 250 leaders of Israel as collaborators. The tribal affiliations of the two main conspirators indicate that this rebellion was against both the religious and political leadership of Moses. Jealousy is the root problem, right? Only by pride cometh contention in Proverbs 13 verse 10. Ishhar, the brother of Amram in Exodus 6 verse 18, was the second son of Kohath, and for some reason unrecorded, he had been supplanted by a descendant of the fourth son of Kohath, who was appointed prince or chief of the Kohathites in Numbers chapter 3 verse 30. Discontent with the preferment over him of a younger relative was probably the originating cause of this seditious movement on the part of Korah. All right, so verses 4 through 11 you're going to get the response of Moses to Korah and his company. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. And that one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this, take censers, Korah and all your company, put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the holy one. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Here now, you sons of Levi, it is a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to serve them. And he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you. And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered uh, together against the Lord, and what is Aaron that you complain against him? So Moses first prayed, being a humble man, he probably asked God if his critics were right or had something to teach him. He probably asked God what should be done in this situation, and he probably asked God to spare the nation and asked God to not allow these divisive men to bring a permanent harm to the people of God. We don't know how long Moses prayed, but after the prayer, he had a sense of God's direction for the crisis. He issued a challenge whereby Korah and his followers would come before the Lord, and Moses and Aaron would come also, so that the Lord would choose his leaders. So this shows that Moses did not doubt the outcome of the test. He knew that God would prove him right and Korah wrong. Therefore, Moses was unafraid to put it to the test. Moses also knew that the rebellion of Korah was rooted in ingratitude. They were not thankful for the wonderful ministry God gave them to do. He rebuked the pride and self-seeking that prompted their challenge. And even if Korah was right, this was the um, wrong way to approach the problem. A power play like this was the wrong way to remove a leader like Moses. The methods of Korah, his use of accusation, intimidation, the gathering of a rival following, revealed his rebellious and divisive heart. So conversely, they are taking too much upon themselves. This murmuring is actually against God. He backs up his appointees, right? In Proverbs, oh, excuse me, Psalm 105, verse 15, and 1 Chronicles 15, verse 22. Touch none, not to mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Right? Serious problems require serious responses. So watch out. The malcontents had been incited by the artful representations of Korah in Judges chapter 1, verse 11 with whom the position of their camp on the south side afforded them easy access. 
So verses 12 through 14, Dathan and Abiram speak for the rebels. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, We will not come up. It is a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you should keep acting like a prince over us. Moreover, you have not brought us into the uh, a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So these were co-conspirators with Korah and 16 verse 1 and they would not even meet with Moses nor answer his challenge they chose to accuse Moses instead and so this shows that Dathan and Abiram colored the past they thought of Egypt as a land of milk and honey even for the Hebrew slaves rebels and divisive people commonly create a past of their own preference a past that puts leaders like Moses in the worst possible light and this also shows that Dathan and Abiram assigned an evil heart to Moses they spoke as if he had discovered the plot of Moses and Aaron to lead the nation into the wilderness and then kill them. The foolishness of this shows how, against all reason, rebels and divisive people often assign every evil intention to the heart of leaders like Moses. And this also shows that Dathan and Abiram refused to acknowledge growth in Moses. It was true that Moses was at one time a prince, a self-confident man who thought he could deliver and lead Israel with his own hand. God broke him of that with 40 years of leading another man's flock in the wilderness back in Exodus. Yet Dathan and Abiram threw it back in his face as if God had never dealt with Moses in those areas. Right, So this also shows that Dathan and Abiram had unfair expectation of Moses. Of course, it was true that Moses had not yet brought them into the promised land, and it was true that some of the blame may uh, lay at his feet because he agreed to the demand of the people to send spies into the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Yet it was wrong to wholly blame Moses for this. Right, These people chose to go that route. They assumed that responsibility or to think that Korah could have done any better. And it's unbelievably easy for the Korahs of this world to sit back and say, if I was a leading man, um, the nation at K- if I was leading the nation at Kadesh Barnea, I would have done thus and such. But Korah was not leading the nation, and men of his type rarely do. God rarely puts the Monday morning quarterbacks, the backseat drivers, in positions of real leadership except as a chastisement to show them just how difficult leadership really is. And that perfect leadership, like perfect anything, is impossible. Leaders should expect to be held at a higher standard, but it is patently unfair to hold a leader to a perfect standard. So this shows that Dathan and Abiram consider themselves under no authority. It is said loud and clear, Moses, we have no respect for your authority. We will listen to God, but not to you. Your word means nothing to us. They simply would not submit. So perhaps Dathan and Abiram did not speak for all the 250 leaders, representatives, and men of renown. Yet note of those 250 were heard to raise an opposing voice to their harsh accusations. Some of the 250 thought that maybe Dathan and Abiram were going a little far, but they did not have the courage to speak up. They were wrong because they allowed Moses to be accused this way with no one to defend him. And it was easy for them to stand back and say, well, I won't take sides. I can be friends with both groups. But here and in many subsequent conflicts, silence is taken as agreement. If a godly man or woman, especially a leader, is being falsely accused and you say nothing, you have sinned because your silence is received as agreement. So they're given a false charge here. They are where their choices had brought them. If they had followed Moses' leadership at Kadesh Barnea, they would have they would be in the land that flowed with milk and honey. They're blaming him for their own failures. Verses 15 through 19, Moses restates his challenge. Then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not 
taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company will be present before the Lord, you and they, as well as Aaron. Let each take his censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord, 250 censers, both you and Aaron, with each with his censer. So every man took a censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So after the words of Dothan and Abiram, Moses was angry, very angry. He knew he had done nothing to deserve such an accusation, and he did the right thing. He left the situation to God. Remember that Moses was, after all, a man of political power. It was certainly within his capability to have Korah and his followers, like Dathan and Abiram, arrested and or executed. Instead, he left the situation to God. Sometimes people are offended that a man like Moses was angry with men like Dothan and Abiram. They think a gentle, easy love is a proper response. Such thinking is understandable, but wrong. Shepherds are gentle with a wayward sheep who might injure themselves, but they are passionate against wolves who would injure the flock. And this shows that Moses was a man of integrity and uh, service to the people. Moses could rest in his clean conscience before God. And this reminds us of Paul's testimony before the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, where he says, Therefore I testify of you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I have coveted no one silver or gold or apparel, and I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. It's Exodus or excuse me, Acts chapter 20, verses 26 through 27, and verses 33 and 35. When a leader is troubled by rebellious and divisive people, there is something glorious about a clean conscience. So, let each take his censer and put incense in it. This specified the challenge. God would approve or disapprove of these 250 men gathered with censers of incense before the door of the tabernacle. God used the censers with fire and incense in this test for a good reason. A censer is a metal pot used to burn incense, and they were used in the priestly worship of God. Since Korah and his companions questioned Moses and Aaron's right to lead the nation and conduct a priesthood, each group would come to the Lord as worshiping priests, and God would show which group he accepted. Moses made the rebels take the position they desired, the position of priest. Often the best judgment on the divisive and rebellious is to let them lead. Humanly speaking, the odds were not good. It was Moses and Aaron against all the congregation. Yet God would make his choice in not popular opinion. All right, verses 19 through 21, God announces judgment on the rebels. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. It is as if God said, Moses and Aaron, would you please move away? I'm going to destroy all these rebels in an instant, and I don't want you to get hurt. God decided to make his choice immediately evident. Sometimes this is not the case when God deals with modern Korahs and their followers, although we probably wish it would. Verse 22, the intercession of Moses and Aaron for Korah and the rebels. So then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? So this was amazing love from Moses and Aaron, undoubtedly one of God's reasons for allowing such a painful event in the life of Moses was that God wanted to see this kind of love drawn out of Moses. Perhaps it was only the prayer of Moses and Aaron that could spare the lives of these men who have tried to bring them down. 
And such love for an undeserving shows that Moses and Aaron were growing in love and being transformed into the image of Jesus before Jesus ever walked the earth. And again, the importance of prayer is emphasized. It seems as if there were no prayer, then the rebellious congregation would be destroyed. We should think that Moses' prayer was essential. And Moses and Aaron saw right through it. Though many were involved, at least more than 250, one man was at the center of it all, Korah, and his sin, his drawing of a group after himself, was the cause of all this mess. So verse 23 through 35, you're going to have God's judgment on the rebels. So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents, with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, and all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they... and and all those with them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord, and consumed 250 men who were offering incense. All right, so this was glorious. God had appointed elders back in Numbers chapter 10 verses 16 through 30. In response to another attack on Moses' leadership there were elders to be seen. Um, the elders were to be men with the same spirit and vision as Moses meant to help him bear the burden meant to stand with Moses and here they did exactly what God appointed them to do. Moses in response to God's command to get away from the tents of the leaders of the rebellion, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram pled with the people to separate themselves from the divisive persons. The same attitude should be among God's people today. They should stay away from divisive, argumentative, contentious people in the body of Christ. You don't want to be close to them if God should deal with them. A divisive, contentious man will influence you, and you don't want to be consumed by their sins. The New Testament also speaks of the same principle. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. Romans 16 verses 17 and 18. Remember, a divisive, contentious person will never claim to be divisive and contentious. They always consider their work a noble cause. Therefore, Christians need some discernment and to look at what others do, not only at what they say. 
So God gave Moses supernatural insight to know some special judgment, a new thing was going to come upon Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. The earth was going to swallow them up as evidence that these men have rejected the Lord. So this was just the way Korah, Dathan, and Abiram were destroyed, along with their families. And we may be uneasy seeing the families destroyed also, but it clearly shows that the families of the divisive, rebellious, contentious people suffer also and even greatly. So God had judgment reserved for those who walked in agreement with Korah, though not as horrific as the judgment Korah himself received, their worship was not received. Alright, so in chapter 26, verse 11, we will learn that Korah's family was not destroyed. This explains why we have Psalms titled, For the Sons of Korah in our Bible, Psalm 84, 85, 87, 88. Apparently, Korah's descendants were content to be humble ministers and not priests, for they wrote in Psalm 84, verse 10, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So the, uh, these people had provoked the Lord. They were sowing division, and God would divide them. Let's take a look real quick at uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God judges the very same way in which the man sins. And that was true of Jacob, it was true of David, and it was true of Paul the Apostle, and it will be true of you and me. All right, verses 36 through 40, a bronze covering for the altar. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore they are holy, and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eliezer the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord that he might not become like Korah and his companions just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. All right so these censers were beaten flat and used as a cover for the main altar of sacrifice. The censers of the rebels were holy and preserved because even though Korah and his followers worship wrongly they worship the right God. And can you imagine the scene that true peace are Picking among the bodies, charred flesh, stench, smoke, smoldering embers, and twisted parts. And they are to make a count. There are 250 censers, and not one is to be lost. Each one is recorded. Each one is cleansed, and each one is holy. In the end, each of the 250 were identified completely with Korah. Perhaps that wasn't how they meant it. Well, I don't agree with everything Korah says, but he's got some good points. But to God, all those distinctions were lost. All the censers were hammered together and distinct and collectively titled Korah and his companions. So the fire was not holy, and was to be scattered away, and it was a strange fire, not acceptable to the Lord at all. And the censers were thus memorialized and served as an important reminder. God appoints his leaders, and no one should be a divisive rebel like Korah. If Christians today encounter ungodly divisive leadership, then they should do what the 250 followers of Korah did not do. The right thing to do is to, if possible, remove yourself from such leaders without becoming rebellious and divisive to begin with. If it isn't possible, leave it up to God to deal with it, as David allowed God to deal with Saul, instead of taking matters into his own hands. In the Hebrew edition of the Old Testament, Numbers 16, verse 36, begins a new chapter, chapter 17. 
All right, verse 41, the accusation is made. You have killed the people of the Lord. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. So poor Moses, he had no doubt hoped that all this trouble was over with when the rebels were judged, but now he had to deal with those who were sympathetic to the divisive people and who felt sorry for them. A lesson to be learned here. Their accusation against Moses was absurd. Moses certainly did not kill them. When the earth opens up and swallows more than 250 people, it is evidently the hand of God. God, not Moses. So verse 42 and 45, uh, the threat of judgment on the children of Israel for their sympathy for Korah. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment and they fell on their faces. So God reacted the same way towards the sympathizers as he did towards Korah and his company. And evidently, these people deserved to be judged. And this humble, desperate reaction showed that they took the threat of judgment seriously. They understood that there was no small thing to sympathize with the divisive, contentious person. God takes it very seriously. No matter how you feel about it, it is evident God takes it very seriously, and so should we. So, verses 46 through 50, Aaron's intercession stops the plague of judgment upon the children of Israel. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it, and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them, for wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly, and already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living, so the plague was stopped. And now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron and Moses, Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle meeting for the plague had stopped. So God promised judgment number 16 verse 45 and I may consume them in a moment. Therefore Moses told Aaron as the high priest over God's people to immediately offer incense to make atonement for the congregation. Moses and Aaron might have had an interest in letting God consume all those who sympathized with those who rebelled against the leadership and Instead, out of love, they try to stop the plague. We have no reason to think that Korah or this group would have shown the same mercy to Moses. They probably would have passively said, well, God, go ahead and give them what they deserve. I knew they had it coming to them. Korah and the complainers didn't have the same shepherd's heart for Israel that Moses and Aaron did. So Aaron ran to the midst of the congregation. His sense of urgency is characteristic of true intercession. A censer filled with burning incense was used to stop the plague. And incense is a picture of prayer in the Bible, as in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Because the sweet-smelling smoke of incense ascends to heaven as our prayers would, this is a dramatic picture of Aaron, the high priest, interceding for God's people. And the plague stopped where Aaron prayed. Intercessors do the same thing today. They stand between the dead and the living, beseeching God's mercy, preserving and promoting life with their prayer. To stand between the dead and the living speaks of how serious the matter of prayer is. It is no casual pursuit, no fatalistic exercise in self-improvement. Prayer moves the hand of God and moves it to stop death and to give life when the last when was the last time that we prayed as if life and death depended on it this is a great number right those who died in the plague were 14,700 but not compared to the consuming of the whole nation even now the generation of unbelief was perishing in the wilderness so a new generation of faith and boldness could be raised up to take the promised land
Most importantly, Aaron, the high priest's work here is a picture of our high priest, Jesus Christ, and his work on our behalf. We were guilty sinners deserving judgment, and we are rightly plagued, and our Savior was sent on his mission. He was unjustly accused and attacked. He prayed on our behalf, and he ran to save us. He stood between death and life for us, and he is the only chance for salvation being the dividing line between death and life. So Aaron wisely puts himself in the pathway of the plague. It came on, cutting down all before it, and there stood Aaron on the interposer with arms outstretched and a censer swinging towards heaven, interposing himself between the darts of death and the people. If there be darts that must fly, he seemed to say, then let them pierce me, or let the incense shield both me and the people. There is nothing that can save the soul of man except Jesus Christ standing between that soul and the judgment of God. If Aaron the high priest with the censer and incense could disarm the wrath of the insulted, angry deity, so that a guilty people who deserved nothing but destruction should be spared, how much more effectual may we expect the great atonement to be, which was made by the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom Aaron was the only type? The sacrifices of living animals pointed out the death of Christ on the cross, the incense, his intercession. Through his death, salvation is purchased for the world. By his intercession, the offending children of men are spared. So you may want to go back and read Second Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 22 for God's estimate of how those who despise authority and rebel against God's truth. At this point, the Hebrew Bible begins a new chapter, right? At... Uh, Verse 35, 36. Jewish scribes consider the rest of chapter 16 and 17 to be a unit on the theme of Aaron's soul right as a priest. So looking back at verse 40, the incense censers would become a holy, uh, holy again to the Lord by being hammered into sheets. Those would overlay the altar, and this way they would serve as a continual reminder or a sign of what happened that day. And people would never forget that only a descendant of Aaron could stand before the Lord in the holy office of priest. All right, and so they murmured again, of course, and that's the sixth mur- murmuring. And the very next day, the entire congregation rebelled again. Right, so they blame Moses and Aaron for murdering the rebels. And incense, of course, we covered was a symbolic of prayer that's found in Exodus 30, verse 8, Psalm 141, verse 2, Luke chapter 1, verse 10, Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, Revelation 8, verses 3 through 4. And had Moses been of a bitter spirit, he would have allowed the plague to destroy the people. Instead, he commanded his brother Aaron to go into the midst of the plague with his censor to stop the judgment. And you want to look at who is standing between the dead and the living, the one accused, the very one whom humanity crucified saves us today. And that ties up Numbers chapter 16. Next time we'll get into Numbers chapter 17, the budding of Aaron's rod. Thank you for joining me.